Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, A.J. Hogue, where A.J.'s more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's A.J. with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. I'm A.J. Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native, father of the Effortless English System. I train you to speak English fluently. You speak English confidently. You speak English powerfully. You speak English effortlessly. When you join my VIP program, you commit, commit, don't quit. You commit to my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. And VIP members, remember... You're getting the movie lessons, those free extra bonuses, the recordings of the movie technique lessons, the movie lessons, our movie club lessons. The first movie, The Matrix, The Matrix. So VIP members, watch your email in about a week. I have to just send a message to my programmers, but it's basically ready. VIP members, you will get it for free first. A few weeks later, I will uh, sell the recordings to everybody else. But for now, VIP members will get for free. It's another reason to join my VIP program, Commit Don't Quit, live on YouTube as usual. Today's topic, some vocabulary, three, three vocabulary words that I quite like in English. And today we're going to talk about etymology, etymology. What is etymology? Etymology is actually quite interesting. Etymology is the, the origin of words in English. Obviously, we're talking about English. But it's kind, of the, it's kind of where do the words come from, right? Because English, modern English evolved. It, it grew. It came from, uh, well, French and Old English, and before that, the kind of Saxon, Germanic language. And then, of course, with French, you can go back earlier to Latin. So it has, English has its roots back in Latin and Germanic languages. And so many, many words, most of the words in English now, they, they came from Latin words, French, old French words, old Germanic words, Saxon words. And it's quite interesting because we can, we can look at the history of these words. Like, what were the original meanings? Like, where do the, the meanings come from? And often, what's quite interesting about etymology, which means we're looking at the history, we're looking at the roots of the words, is that we can find a deeper meaning to the words, right? So, in English, often you'll see the the dictionary definition, but that's a shallow meaning. It's kind of just the most obvious meaning of the word. But as in other languages, with English, many words have a kind of a deeper meaning, a deeper emotional feeling, uh, a much deeper, um, we say connotation, but basically more subtle levels, deeper levels of meaning for many words in English. And we can find, we can often find those deeper levels of meaning if we look at the etymology, if we look at the history of the word, because then we find those, the, you know, the root meaning, 
the deeper meaning of the words. We're going to look at three words today. Resolution, right? This is a word we use in it right now a lot. We're using it as a noun. It can be used as a verb also to resolve. But resolution is a noun and uh, we have New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. New Year's decisions, New Year's goals. That's kind of the common modern meaning. But we're going to look at a deeper meaning of that word, resolution and resolutions. Uh, the next word, another word, a word I really quite like and love. We talked about it yesterday. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm in English. Again, the modern basic meaning is something like excitement. Excitement about a topic, about something. But there's a deeper meaning that comes from the, the root, the deeper level, the deeper history of that word. We'll look at that today. And then finally, devotion. Devotion. The word devotion, one of my favorite words. It's connected to my personal New Year's resolution for this year. And again, devotion kind of has an idea of loyalty, right? That you, you love or you care about someone or something and you're loyal to them right you uh, you you will not betray them you are dedicated to them but again deeper meanings so we're going to look at the deeper meanings of these words the etymology i would just first like to say hello to everyone joining live i'm i'm earlier today i woke up earlier last night was the first my first night sleeping in normal hours for nine months. So nine months ago, we have 17 thumbs up. 17. Those of you who follow Q, it's a good number. <laughs> anyway, um, nine months ago, my twin babies were born. Since then, my sleep has been terrible. Since then, I have been on a night schedule, like staying up all night until 4 a.m., until 6 a.m. Uh, in the beginning, I was staying up till like 6 or 7, maybe 7 a.m. And uh, my sleep is constantly interrupted. You know, you know, parents, you all know. But anyway, last night, my, my baby boy, who's he's, he's the one I watch at night usually. The girl sleeps with uh, my wife. She sleeps longer, so she's been on a better schedule. But anyway, last night, uh, finally, my boy's been going to bed earlier lately and sleeping longer. He still wakes up in the night, but not so much now. So finally, last night, I went to bed at like 11 o'clock, a, a, an almost a, basically a normal bedtime, like a normal time. And... Uh, it was great. He only woke up a couple times. I gave him milk and then he went back to sleep immediately. So I actually had a normal sleeping schedule, woke up a little before 7 a.m. I, I wake up in the morning with the sun. Uh, in the winter, it's great because the days are short in the winter. So if, I, if, I, if I'm awake all night and then I sleep in the morning, I miss most of the day. It's kind of depressing. So anyway... Very happy. I'm feeling great today because I finally got I got good sleep last night and a no, fairly normal sleep schedule. Knock on wood. Hopefully uh, <clears throat> that will continue, and I'll be back doing uh you know sleeping normal hours, and maybe I'll do the show a little earlier, like now. <coughs> Excuse me, earlier for me. One second. Just got a little dry throat. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Ah, a little water. Okay. So anyway, I'm feeling good. Feeling great. All right, let's get into the topic and then I'll come back and, of course, say hi to everybody who's joining live. Rasha, nice to see you. Uh, anyway, I'll say hi to you and we'll get into questions and comments. But first, let's look at our words, the etymology of these three words. It's a nice little website I found called, uh, whoops, there it is. <clears throat> it's just called Etymo Online. Et etym Online. It's just an etymology dictionary. <clears throat> and you can go to this website, you put in a word, it's the Online Etymology Dictionary. And you put in a word and it will give you the history and the deeper meaning of that word. So the first word, resolution, right? You're going to hear this word right now in January. You hear it a lot. New Year's resolutions. Okay, let's look into what's the deeper meaning? What's the history? So it says... Resolution comes from the late 14th century, 1300s, Old French. And also, of course, from Latin. Originally from Latin, going back even farther back. So, the French, the original French meaning, resolution, a breaking into parts. So that's interesting. Right now we use this meaning, it's like a goal or a decision. But the, the original meaning, the deeper meaning is breaking into parts, breaking something into parts. And then the Latin, a process of reducing things into simpler forms. So taking something complicated and making it more simple, breaking it into parts, take something big, something complicated, make it more simple. Interesting, huh? And then a little later, they have, it, especially the verb, also brought the idea of solving, like solving a math problem, to solve a problem, right? to resolve it. So this is quite interesting. You can now kind of get a feeling for a deeper level of meaning for the word. It's not just a decision. It's not just a goal, right? Because what are we doing when we make this resolution? Indeed, you have some maybe a big goal, a big idea. We break it into parts. We make it more simple and more clear. This is exactly what you need to do for big goals, for large goals. You have a goal like you want to be, let's say you want to be a bodybuilder and you want to really have big, huge muscles but you're a little skinny guy. So you don't just do that all at one time. You have to break it into parts, right? Okay, what am I going to do? First, I need to start lifting weights. Then I need to learn about nutrition, especially bodybuilding nutrition. And I'm going to first need to build basic strength. And right, it's a step-by-step -step process. You break this big thing that seems very large, very difficult, you have to break it into little parts, little steps, step by step by step. And that's a great way to make a resolution, a goal. Break it into small steps. Giant goals, big dreams are great, but they also can make you feel a little bit um, stressed sometimes, right? You can feel like it's too big. It's, it's, it, it will, sometimes it feels impossible, right? You say, I want to be a millionaire. Uh, right now, you've got no money. Well, that seems like a huge goal. It seems too far away. So what do you need to do? 
It's a good dream, but you've got to break it into parts. Make it more simple. Well, what's the first step? You don't start with no money, and then tomorrow you're a millionaire, right? What's the first step? Well, you got to, maybe you have to learn some things, okay? I'm going to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm going to read 10 books about financial independence, something like that. That's a good first step. It's a simple step. You can definitely do that. Anybody can do that. Just read some books about financial independence. Maybe step two, you're going to make a plan. What's my plan? How am I going to reduce my expenses? For example, right? With our recent book, Your Money or Your Life, that was one of the the first steps, right? First step actually was to track, to track, to look at every penny you spend, every amount of money, right? To keep, to write it down, to look at it, to analyze it. That's a great step. That book is great because there's the big goal of financial independence and what does it do? Breaks it into little small pieces that are very simple. Each chapter is a little piece that's very simple, right? So to resolve resolution, breaking into parts, Reducing something into simpler forms, making something more simple. It really gives you a feeling of how do you, how do you make a goal that's effective? Well, we can look at the history of the word. The deeper meaning of the word gives us an answer, right? So this, I love etymology for this reason because we find a lot of wisdom in the deeper meanings or the history of these words. All right, let's go to our the second word I chose, which is enthusiasm, one of my favorite words in English. Enthusiasm, again, our common meaning or understanding now is like kind of an ex- excitement. But this has a very, very, very deep meaning and a very uh, uh, beautiful meaning, actually. So enthusiasm from the 1600, again, from French and Latin. You'll find a lot of words in English uh, come from, well, originally Latin, but through French. (laughs) And also from Greek. So in Greek, I mean, in Latin, the late Latin was enthusiasmus. Probably the Greek is the older, the oldest one. And then, so it kind of came from Greek to Latin to French and then to English. And what were these old meanings of the word? Here it is. This is a beautiful word. To be inspired or possessed by God. To be wrapped. To be in ecstasy. Wow. So this is a powerful word, right? It's not just excitement. It's much deeper than that. Uh, From entheos, Greek. Divinely inspired, possessed by God. Right? In so the word is in theos. In theos is the original word. In, E-N, means in, like in English, I-N, like inside. And theos, T-H-E-O-S, means God. So it means you are in the spirit of God. It means the spirit of God is inside of you, right? It means to be aware of, to be fully possessed by the spirit of God and therefore to be in ecstasy, To be in ecstasy means to be in the highest levels of happiness. It's not just excitement, right? It means you have the feeling of connection to God, the Holy Spirit, Christians would say, inside of you. 
That is the root of this word enthusiasm. You can see why it's such a powerful word. It's not just excited. Okay, it's much deeper. It's an, it's a kind of excitement, but it's a it's a divine meaning, a, a, an excitement that comes from God, from the beauty and truth of the Spirit of God. Powerful. And so when we say, if you say you are enthusiastic about something, you're not just excited about it. It means that this activity, this thing, gives you a feeling of connection to God, that you are grateful for life, right? It's a, it's a spiritual happiness. It's a spiritual excitement. It's far more than just being excited. So enthusiasm is therefore an amazingly powerful mindset, an amazingly powerful state. It gives you great power because when you are enthusiastic, that's the adjective, when you are enthusiastic about something, you have this incredible energy, right? This amazing energy about that topic, about that task, about the thing you're trying to do. And it gives you huge motivation. When you are enjoying something so much, you're unstoppable. You will do it for a long, long, long time and never get tired, never get bored. It can be something very simple. Let's say golf again. I'll use golf as an example. If you are enthusiastic about golf, okay, the modern meaning is you're excited about golf. But if we look at the deeper meaning, it means that golf somehow connects you to, you know, a feeling of connection to God. And that you have this, it's more than just an excitement. It's this like incredible happiness of uh, something about it. You know, it's, it's, it's quite simple, similar as, as well to what Buddhists talk about, where this deep feeling of mindness, uh, mindfulness, where you are doing an activity. It could be simple. You can be washing dishes, but you are so, you're in this present moment. You're not distracted at all. You're completely focused on what you're doing, just washing the dishes, the feeling of the water, the feeling of the dishes, and that in that moment you have a, something magical happens. This feeling of enthusiasm, this feeling of connection to a spiritual power, God. So that's the root of enthusiasm. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. And you will find in English, other languages too, of course, but we find in English that many, many, many words we have. The modern meaning, right, the common meaning now is nothing special. But when we look deeper, we find actually some very, very special, profound, powerful meanings at a deeper level. When we look at the etymology. Okay, and finally, we'll go with the third word I have chosen today, devotion, which is another word with great power. So devotion is, uh, again, the common meaning of the word now is something, it's not so powerful, it's, but it is a little powerful, but it, it's something like uh, commitment, right, to be committed. I'm using the noun, but it's a verb also, you know, you know, to devote. We can use it as an adjective, to be devoted. But um, it has the kind of the idea that you are committed, right? That you are committed to something that you are loyal or committed. If you're devoted to your friend, it means you, uh, you're loyal to your friend, right? You will support your friend. 
But again, it, let's look at the history of the word now. Going back again, as usual, to Old French and Latin. Way back to the 1200s. 1200. The year 1200. Okay. From the Old French, devotion. I don't know how to pronounce French, but that's the Spanish. <laughs> Profound religious emotion. Again, religious. Awe. A-W-E. A beautiful word. Reverence. Another beautiful word. I'll explain these words in a minute. Okay, also going back more to the Latin. Devotium, something like that. A noun of action, blah, 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 blah. Dedicate, uh, dedicate by a vow. Sacrifice oneself. Promise solemnly. Promise seriously. All right, so here we have... Um, and then finally, in, in ancient Latin... In ancient Latin, an act of consecrating by a vow. All right, here we go. So we've got three levels of this. Devotion. So number one, we're looking at the French. Devotion is piety or piety. Piety. Piety is a, is, um, how do I say this? Is like a pure love of God. Piety. Profound religious emotion. You can see it. it's actually connected to enthusiasm. It has a bit of a similar feeling as enthusiasm. It's a religious emotion of awe and reverence. Reverence is like respect, but much more, much stronger. Respect, um, awe, you know, to be in awe of something means you're like, wow, right? Awesome. The word awesome comes from this. So it's, it's this feeling of amazement at maybe it's something that's so beautiful, so incredible that you feel this incredibly powerful feeling of amazement, awe, and reverence, which is a kind of deep, deep, deep and powerful respect. So devotion, it's more than just, it's more than just being loyal. It's, it's a... It's a loyalty that has a deep, deep, deep respect. It's a religious loyalty. It's so powerful. And then again with the Latin, we, the Latin gives us the idea of a vow to sacrifice oneself to promise solemnly. Okay, so here again we get to a much deeper meaning of why this word devotion is so powerful. A vow is a promise, but again, it's it's like a it's not just a casual promise. It's a very serious promise. If you have, if you make a vow, you can use it as a verb to vow. Then it means this is like a promise with God as your witness, right? This is a promise that you is very 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 serious if you break that promise. A vow. It has the idea of sacrificing oneself, to sacrifice yourself. So it means you're so loyal, you're, you have this incredible respect for someone or something that you will, you will even sacrifice yourself. You will sacrifice your own happiness or your own convenience or your, you'll sacrifice your comfort to serve that person or that thing. As if you're devoted to God, well, it means that God is above you. You will sacrifice your own comfort, your own happiness, your own whatever, convenience in order to serve God. If you are devoted to your family, well, then 
it means you're putting them above you in many ways, right? That you will sacrifice yourself for them. You are vowing, you are promising, you're making a deep and powerful promise to serve them. Devotion. Right? So, for example, when we have marriage vows, when a husband and wife get married, we say they make a marriage vow. It's not a casual promise. Nowadays, with some people, it is a casual promise, but uh, historically, traditionally, it's a very, very, very serious promise. So, we have this together then, and we now we can look at this word again, come back to the word devotion, that it is a, it is about serving someone or something with this feeling of deep respect that is religious, almost that it's spiritual. Again, it's spiritual. And that it's so spiritual and so serious that it is a spiritual promise you are making, a vow to serve them. You will even sacrifice for them your own happiness, your own convenience. So devotion. There we go. So etymology. You can do this with a lot of words. Check out that dictionary. You can just do a search online etymology dictionary. Online etymology dictionary. It's quite nice. So I'll just click on the homepage just to show you. So there you go. Check it out. It really will give you a, you know, this is this is advanced, obviously, for those of you who are, uh, you know, if, if you're just more like intermediate or lower level, then just, you know, just the basic meanings of words, the common meanings, it's totally fine. But as you get more advanced, I know some of you, uh, it's quite, it's quite uh, enjoyable, I think, to learn the deeper meanings of words, you know, the more subtle feelings of different words, and you can... Usually, I think that looking at the etymology, like the online etymology dictionary, it's better than using a normal dictionary for those deeper meanings. For just the common meanings, use a normal dictionary or use a translation dictionary. It's totally fine. Uh, translation is probably the best. It's just, it's simple, it's quick, and it gives you the common meaning. It's totally fine. But as you get more advanced and you're wanting to use words or understand words at a deeper level, then with that advanced vocab, it can be quite nice to look up these words in the etymology dictionary and you'll get a much richer, a much deeper, a much more complex feeling for the words and the meaning. All right, let's just jump on into our comments and questions. Let me go back to the beginning here, see if I can catch up. Raphael's in Nebraska. Nice to see you. My family, my dad's family's from Nebraska. People are congratulating me about the baby. Thank you. Uh, hey, from oh, Salvador Estrada is in Atlanta, Georgia, where I went. I went to high school in in that area. Okay, here we go. Pablo's got a nice comment here. Pablo Robles, good to see you again. Resolution could be understood like deciding to make many little steps towards a goal. Well said, yes. Resolve many challenges towards a goal. 
Yes, that's. I think that's a, a great a great way to to understand it. Deciding to make many little steps towards a goal. That's a great way to understand resolution. Norma says, uh, French comes from Latin. Yes, I know. <laughs> but again, you know, even when we look at French, from Latin to French, the meanings can change a bit, right? So you'll find the Latin meaning, or even all the way back to Greek, as we saw with enthusiasm. So we find entheos, the original Greek, then, it, then, the, then the Romans, right? The Romans conquered the Greeks, so the Romans took... Uh, took some of the Greek words, they became, they turned them into Latin words, you know, they became Latin, maybe the meanings changed a little bit. And then, of course, after the fall of the Roman Empire, then you get the Romance languages, especially. Uh, so French, then, is, has, is, is a Latin language, and, but again, the meanings might change a bit as the word comes into French. And then, of course, the, the Normans, the French-speaking Normans uh, conquered England and brought French. And so then these words come into English <laughs> and can change a little bit again in meaning. And then finally, with time, they, they, the meanings can change from you know, Old English to Middle English to Modern English. And, we, and then, of course, they can change even as uh, in different countries. So the British came to America and then sometimes some words have been changed a bit by Americans or Australians or whatever. So it's quite interesting to look at those changes in the meaning of a word and going all the way back to the original, like with enthusiasm, all the way back to the Greek. Yeah, Van, oh no, but this is a nice way to say it, very, uh, in a nice short sentence. Vanu Rodriguez says, Devotion is a fullness of faith with loyalty. Faith with loyalty. I like that. Yes, it's a great way to understand it. Faith, which gives you the feeling that, that the religious, the awe, you know, that part of it, and then loyalty. And you put those together. Faith with loyalty. Or loyalty with faith. Right, and this is, not, this is exactly what enthusiasm, uh, Sri Ram is giving us kind of again this, this uh, another way to explain enthusiasm. Devotion to God and also devotion. You can see that these two words are actually have a connection, devotion and enthusiasm. Devotion to God is when we experience ecstatic bliss beyond mere words. Right, some of these things are hard to explain in words. Okay, let's see. Pablo with another nice comment. 
Devotion is to resign to be myself. Instead, oh, is is to oh to I I see. Pablo is saying you know devotion is to resign to not to, to let go of being just yourself alone and separated. Instead, to be one with God. That's that's exa- that's right. That's a very good way to say it. Devotion, religious devotion, is a decision to be one with God, or at least to try. Which means to be one with all of creation, everything, and then the everything and the nothingness, all. Yes, well said. So if you take that, so this is the, uh, let's say, the most powerful meaning of the word devotion, meaning devotion to God. But we use it commonly with other things. So if you say, I am devoted to my wife, well, of course, it's not quite at the level of God, but it give, it has a little of the same character, a little of the same feeling, meaning that you have decided not to just be alone and separate, but rather to try to be one with, or at least to share a life with, uh, with that person, with your wife, with your husband. <laughs> Your children, right, etc., and and it, and doing it with this uh, this enthusiasm, this feeling of it's a spiritual decision. It's a spiritual uh, connection beyond just regular normal loyalty. It's much deeper than just loyalty. Loyalty is a good word, but it's much stronger than that. Leonardo asking, do you have a question? Let's see, I have a question. Do you speak in a normal native speed or do you speak slower in a teacher way? I speak normally. I do not speak like a teacher. A teacher speaks like this. I'm going to explain English to you. Right, that's a teacher speed, a teacher style. I'm speaking totally normal, normally. my normal speaking speed is not super fast, which is lucky for you. <laughs> um, I, I was born in the South and grew up in the South, the Southern part of the United States. And Southerners are quite famous for speaking a little more slowly. Yeah, now, the opposite would be, let's say, New Yorkers. People from New York are famous for speaking uh, fast, right? For speaking more quickly. The, it's not just the accent, it's they also the speaking speed, right? Different parts of the country, maybe um, it's more normal to speak slower or faster. So New Yorkers are famous for being very fast talkers, probably the fastest in America. Da, 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 right? Some New Yorkers just fast, 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 talk, 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 talk. Uh, an example of that would be Gary V. I don't know if he's a New Yorker, but he talks like a New Yorker. He's a marketing guy. And he talks, 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 talks constantly really fast. Uh, and then on the opposite side would be Southerners in the United States. Southerners, like myself, uh, we're, have a reputation, we're quite famous for speaking more slowly, not only speaking, but in general, like life in general, that life is just a little slower, right? In New York, everything's fast, 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 busy, 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 go, go, go. And in the South, more relaxed, more chilled out, we say. So, but both are normal, right? Both are normal. It's just there's a variation, a natural variation. So this, I speak normally. I'm not thinking about like trying to talk like a teacher. Uh, it, it's, it's unnatural. 
People ask about war. I don't, there's not going to be a war with Iran and USA. I don't think so. Trump is kind of a, a master at doing this kind of stuff. He'll do some little thing and he always pulls back. I don't think there's, I don't think there's going to be a war. I, I don't know. I'm not in the government, but I don't think so. So don't need to, don't, don't worry guys. I think it's, I think it's going to be fine. Ah, now see, this is interesting. It's talking about speed. So Pablo Robles says, you know what, AJ? I bought the business English course. I feel like you speak more rapidly than your father. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm enjoying it. Very useful content. My dad, uh, he still lives in the South. He's not a Southerner. He wasn't born in the South, but he was born in uh, uh, in a kind of countryside in the Midwest, the middle of the country, which, where they also can speak slowly, especially like the farmers in the countryside, Nebraska. Someone mentioned they're from Nebraska. Um, Nebraska and Missouri, Indiana, and this kind of center of the country, Kansas. They also, uh, especially the farming areas, also have a reputation for speaking quite slowly. And then my father uh, also has lived in the South for a long, long time. So, yeah, he probably does speak a bit more slowly than I do. So. Others, of course, you'll find speak faster. Like someone mentioned Gary V. Yeah, like Leonardo says, I know Gary V. He speaks really fast. Oh, my God. I think English isn't his first language. I think it is. I think he's a native. He sounds like a native speaker to me, Gary, Gary V. Pretty sure he's American. Well, we could look it up. Let's look up Gary V. I'm just curious. If you're interested in marketing and social media type stuff, he's that's what he focuses on. Uh, Werner Chuck. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm almost positive. He was born. Oh, he's born in the Soviet Union, actually. Uh, yeah, that's right. His his. But I think he came over at a very young age. Let me just look at really quick. His parents were Russian then, obviously. He, yeah, he came to the United States at the age of three. So at the age of three, he came. So he's, he's American. He's a native speaker. If you come, if... Uh, if Children who come at a, you know, like before, let's say 10 years old, before 12, maybe even, something like that, uh, they will speak like a native. If, if so, even if they come over and they're, let's say, 12 years old, they come to America, they will sound like a native speaker. A little bit, you know, as it, when adults, when they, when they reach adulthood, this is when you... Um, this is when you'll find that then they'll have an accent usually. Anya says, my name is Anya from Mexico. I'm really grateful for you. You've been helping so much. Thank you, Anya. Thank you very much. Flavio Aquino says, uh, philosophy is a boring matter to address for those who are not into it. I guess. I've always found it quite interesting. 
Can you recommend some good, inspiring philosophers? Easy to read and understand. Yeah, I will say this. The, the Greek, I find Greek and Western philosophers far more, what's the word? Difficult. And it's not really difficult. Um, I, I find they make things too complicated. They, they, it's kind of a Western thing uh, of, tr- of trying to sound intellectuals. Too academic is the word I'm looking for. Whereas I find Eastern philosophers are much more straight to the point and direct, which I like. So like if you read Nietzsche, it's just kind of like, uh, I, get, I get a little sick of it, you know? Um, because it, it's just, I don't know. It just, he uses like 100 words when he only needs to use 10, I feel. Whereas the, uh, in Eastern philosophy... In, it's in much of Eastern philosophy, Chinese, Indian, etc., Japanese, I find that it's quite, it's quite the opposite where they are trying to say a lot and use the fewest number of words possible. So it's one reason I quite love Eastern philosophy. Taoism is a perfect example, the Tao Te Ching. You know, it's, it's just a few words. Another example would be... Uh, a really good example is Japanese haiku, where they're trying to communicate a deep message, a deep feeling, uh, an image, a moment, uh, often a spiritual understanding in just three short sentences. And quite many of them are quite beautiful. Okay, so easy to read. If you're interested in Eastern, Alan Watts is would be my recommendation. Alan Watts, W-A-T-T-S. Alan Watts. Now this is mostly mostly Eastern. He wrote about, but what's great about Alan Watts is he was British, and and he became American. Uh, but he he comes from a Western background, British. He was a I think Episcopalian, but a Christian um, minister. So he understands, uh, you know, how Western people think. And he, he therefore can explain Eastern philosophy to Western people. He, he did a great job of that, doing it in a very clear way, a very interesting way, often with humor. So I think Alan Watts, any of his books are really good give you kind of a basic understanding of Taoism, Buddhism, Sanatana Dharma. For Western philosophy, uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 less, I'm less familiar with that. Uh, Pink says, I love you to talk. Uh, let's see. I've listened to your Apple podcast. I hope you can discuss about Christianity. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts about it. Love from the Philippines. I've talked about it some and I will more, of course. Quite lately, I'm quite interested in uh, Orthodox traditions. Slavika on Gab has said she's going to share some uh, information about the Orthodox um, traditions. Orthodox Christianity, the Eastern, you know, Russia, uh, Eastern European, that kind of uh, area. In fact, I was just recently reading about St. Nicholas, the real St. Nicholas, right? St. Nicholas kind of got combined with Santa Claus in, in modern times. So in America, if, if you say St. Nicholas, people think of a fat 
guy in a red suit. But that's not who St. Nicholas was. St. Nicholas was a saint um, who was in the, well, at the time, the Byzantine Empire, right? An early Christian saint lived in where, where modern Turkey, Asia Minor. And uh, anyway, very fascinating. And that's... I think the real St. Nicholas is far more interesting and powerful than the fantasy Santa Claus. So maybe I'll talk about St. Nicholas soon. I, I'm not an expert, but just, you know, it's just we can learn a little bit about St. Nicholas, just the kind of basic stuff we can just get from the Internet. Uh, but it would be kind of fun to chat about it and see the, the real St. Nicholas, not this uh, marketing guy with the big red suit. Well, Rodrigo has a good point. He says, I don't think the issue is the pace, meaning the speed. It's the amount of slang that Americans put in there. People need to listen more to get used to this. Correct. This is often a problem that not all, like I don't use a lot of slang, uh, but uh, many Americans do use a lot. My father uses more than I do. Idioms, specifically. Um, my mother uses a lot, I noticed, because she, when my mom was visiting here, you know, so my wife's Japanese, she's not a native speaker. And so I noticed that, okay, my mom was using a lot of idioms and slang sometimes. And of course, I'm realizing, well, oh, that's probably hard for my wife to understand this. She doesn't know these, all these idioms. So that is a challenge. It's true. Yeah, like Arif says, devotion in Islam is to worship God as if you see him. Right. It's to be, it's, it's not just a faraway idea. It's like it's inside of you or right there. It's, it's intimate, this, this word devotion. Close. Oh, Zarni, I would actually, this is a good suggestion and I will probably do it. Do some podcasts about your interpretation of the Tao Te Ching. I love the Tao Te Ching. I have loved it for a long, long, long time. It is fabulous. Um, like the Tao Te Ching for me, he says, I would be really glad to hear your interpretation. I would be glad to. The Tao Te Ching is one of these uh, uh, books or writings where, of course, it's originally in Chinese, but even the English translations where, yes, it's so few words with such deep meaning, right? It's where the, the meaning is so big, but the, it's just a, the, the, the minimum number of words necessary. And I love this. Like I said, it's the opposite of kind of Western academic mindset, where often the idea is, is really actually quite simple, but they will use thousands and thousands of words to explain something that is very simple because it seems more intellectual or they're overcomplicating things, which is quite common. Uh, whereas I find like the Tao Te Ching is the exact opposite of that where the, it's, you know, it's talking about the nature of God, the nature of existence, the nature of uh, change and impermanence and big, big, big philosophical questions. But, you know, the, it's just, such few direct simple uh, it's really great 
And what's great about the, the Tao Te Ching, you can look at it and you can take a phrase or one of the passage, one of the verses of the Tao Te Ching. You can look at it at one level, just very practical, because the Tao Te Ching is very practical. So you, you have a question about studying, you have a question about learning English, you have a question about your fitness, about exercise. You can look at a verse in the Tao Te Ching and you can get some good advice about that at, a, at just a total practical level. But then you can go much, much deeper where the Tao Te Ching is also discussing and teaching about, you know, the root of our nature and God. The, the word God is not used in the translation and the word Tao is used, but you could certainly think of, I think of Tao and God as essentially the same. Tao being less of a personal thing, you know, and, uh, understanding. AJ, what's your original home? I'm from, I always say I'm from Georgia. I, when, I was a, when I was young, a child, my family moved a lot, actually. I lived in several places as a child, so it's hard to say. Uh, but finally, we, stayed, we stopped in Georgia, in the United States, not the country, the state. So I'm from Georgia. Yeah, look, Hamant giving again the common meaning of devotion, it means 100% dedication towards someone. Right, that's kind of the modern common meaning, exactly. But the etymology <laughs> that we discussed today gives us a deeper understanding. And I think more beautiful. I think that, I think that we often find the, that deeper meaning has a lot of you know, power and beauty uh, we find in these words that it's not obvious from the dictionary. Tim says, can we reach the skill of thinking in English? Yeah. I consume content in English. I participate in the challenge. 800 hours, now 1,000. I'm shadowing podcasts, but it doesn't help. Yeah, you, you probably you need more hours. That's, uh, you know, there's no escaping that. So don't, I, I would say this, look, it's great to think in English and all that, but don't, don't get upset about it, right? Don't, don't focus too much on this performance. Can you speak well? Can you understand people? Are you fluent? I'm guessing you're probably pretty good uh, with all those hours. So just relax. Uh, you're gonna, it, it, will, it will happen. It will happen. Just, you know, don't, too often we forget to just enjoy what we can do now. Yeah, Yan Ming Li says, I'm listening to the Tao Te Ching. So I guess listening to an audiobook version. The most beautiful book in China, only 5,000 Chinese characters. Right. I mean, I, I, I wish I understood Chinese because I'm sure in the original Chinese, the deep, the meaning is uh, even deeper. It's hard to translate something like that. Uh, so I, I can imagine that the Tao Te Ching is not easy to translate. <laughs> 
<laughs> into English. But still, I've read a few different English versions, and they're still quite powerful and beautiful. It's a it's it's amazing book, really, really amazing. The Tao Te Ching, now which strangely is spelled with a T, so it's T A O is the first word Tao or Dao. Day T E. And the final word, Ching, C-H-I-N-G. Uh, you can, it's translated, it has been translated into many languages. I highly recommend that book. Um, yeah, I, I'll do some passages. We'll do it. I, I love the Tao Te Ching. It's really great. Okay. Grandes, what do you think of Bolsonaro? Bolsonaro. I like him. I don't... Uh, I, I can't say more than that. I don't know. I don't know anything about Brazilian politics. I know he supports homeschooling. Thumbs up for that. Big thumbs up to Bolsonaro. I also think he's extremely funny. Uh, I've, I've seen some videos of him. I, I like his style. He's kind of a Trump type of guy. Uh, but the, the details of Brazilian politics, I have no idea. <laughs> so I, I can't say. Do you speak Japanese? I'm working on it, little by little. Okay, let's see. Ramadan Abakar says, I think people speaking faster depends. Uh, it's used to their, they're used to local speed. That's right. That's right. No matter if it's faster or slower, you have to speak your local speed. Exactly. That's a good way to say it. The speaking speed is, uh, it really depends of number one on, right, the local speed, the local culture, different locations. People have a different common speed. Cities, typically people speak faster in cities. In the countryside, typically they speak more slowly. And in different areas, different regions of the country, talking about the United States, are faster or slower. So the Northeast, New York, Boston, they have a reputation of speaking faster. The Southeast, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, they have a reputation for speaking more slowly. California, uh, middle maybe. Depends. But anyway, that's one of the main things. And then the second is just personality. Some individuals naturally, they're more excited or they just have a, they just speak a lot more. They speak a lot faster. Other individuals are more relaxed and they have a slower speaking style. So you combine those two things and then you get the kind of the natural speaking speed. People ask me all the time if this is my natural speed. It is. Yeah, Pablo, the good point about the kind of connected to the thinking in English and improving. Pablo says, about improving, sometimes we don't realize how much we did. Definitely, we don't realize. It's like seeing yourself in the mirror every day. 
right? But you do, but believe me, you change with time. Exactly. Sometimes, uh, like you look in the mirror every day, you don't see the changes because it's just every day. But, but maybe you have a friend far away, you only see them once a year. So at the you see them the next year, they say, oh, you look different. You look older or you look fatter or you look thinner, right? Something's changed maybe in the year. They, for them, it looks like a big change. But for you, day to day, you don't notice so much. This happens with children, your own children. Your own children are growing and you, can, you realize they're getting bigger, but you know, you're with them every day. You do, it's, it doesn't seem so sudden. Maybe the change doesn't seem so big. But someone else, maybe your, you know, your sister or something, you, you see two years later and the children look like they're much, much, much bigger. Like they've grown so much in two years. Like for your sister, it seems like, wow, this is such a big change. Right. And so this kind of happens too, like with English or something, you, you don't quite realize how much you're improving because every day, every day, every day, it feels like, feels like, you know, daily, it feels like nothing's happening. But then maybe you, you meet, if you meet somebody, you know, a year later, they say, wow, your English is so much better. Right. Lazar, nice, thank you, saying uh, thank you from Canada. Good, thank you. Yeah, now this is also true of countries. It's a good point. Grandes says, Grandes Sermoes da America says, Italians normally speak very fast. So right, this is also, it's not just a region. Whole countries can have a reputation or can speak faster or slower, right? Right. Italians have a reputation for speaking quickly. I would say Spanish speakers in general, for me, have a, they speak fast. Uh, but it, it depends on the region. But still, overall, when I listen to Spanish media, uh, Spanish people speak Spanish quickly compared to Japanese. Like Japanese people, they, most Japanese people do not speak super fast. Right? It's not slow, but I, it doesn't feel super fast to me. Even though my level's not high, I can understand the word. I can catch the words usually. Uh, of course, some exceptions. Some people may speak very quickly, uh, especially like comedians and on TV. They can speak quite fast. But, uh, but like average people, it's not so bad. Compared to, let's say, in, in Spain, you know, when, Spanish, when people speak Spanish, they can go, it sounds like a machine gun. It's so fast, right? To me, they, they don't think it's fast, but it's, to me, it sounds very, very, very fast. Um, and again, I'm sure this it's, depends on the country. Mexico compared to Colombia, compared to Spain. I know in Spain, for example, that people in the south of Spain have a reputation to speak very, very, very quickly. And in the north of Spain, not so much a little more slowly. And I, I certainly found that to be true, that in the north of Spain, not so bad, like in Catalonia and, um, you know, kind of up along the border with France, I found people didn't, it's not so fast. And then I in Madrid, definitely faster. And I've heard, I, I don't know, but I've heard in the south of Spain that people can speak very, very quickly. 
So these are all just normal variations, nothing to get stressed about. It's just it's normal. Ricardo says, Bolsonaro only supports homeschooling because he doesn't want to put money into public schools and, and teachers. Good. They don't need money. Stop wasting money on public schools. It's garbage. Homeschool, homeschool, homeschool. I completely support anybody, anywhere, uh, who's, push, who's fighting for homeschooling. 100% I, f I support it. This whole thing of we got to give more money to school system is bullshit. It's a failed system. Why give more money to a failed system? Why give more money to crap? Right? This is what teachers are constantly saying. This is what schools are constantly saying. Oh, we're crap because we need more money. So what happens? They get more money. They raise taxes. Now the school has more money. Does it get better? It does not get better. Nothing improves. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Cut off their money. They don't need more money. Fire all the bad teachers. That's what I say. It's bullshit. It's a, it's a, it's a scam. They don't need money. Good. I hope he cuts them all off. Cut them off. <laughs> That's what I would do. You'd be happy that I'm not your president if you don't like that because I'd be far tougher. Uh, let's see. Rodrigo says, uh, I was visiting Japan in October. Good time of year. It was in many beautiful places. Tokyo, Yokohama, Nara, Kyoto, and Osaka. My favorite city is Kyoto. Yes, I understand. City's amazing. People are so kind. I agree. Kyoto's the best city in Japan. I also my favorite. Okay, a couple more in time to go. My babies are taking a nap. Ooh, I can hear they're quiet. <laughs> All right, let's see, a couple more. Ah, Kumipon says, I'm from Okayama, Japan. Have you been to Okayama? As a matter of fact, I have. I have been to Okayama. It's not so far from here. I, let me think. I briefly, very briefly, taught a few English classes there at a, I think it was a college for nurses, I believe. <laughs> that was many years ago. Anyway, Okayama is in Japan. It's a nice little, nice place. Okay. I think that's all. Ah, okay, I'll take this last question because I always like to support homeschooling. From Samira. Samira says, I would like to do homeschooling to my kids. Do it, do it, do it. But I'm afraid. Do not fear. The Gita says, do not fear. The Bible says, do not fear. Do not fear. I don't know how to control them. Ah, okay. I don't know if they're going to focus or not. Okay, this is a common problem. Uh, it's not just homeschooling, like teachers, especially new teachers, but even old teachers uh, have this exact problem, right? It's 
discipline, class discipline. There's an excellent book. You know what? I'm just going to start teaching you all some ideas from the book. I'm going to promote the book because I it's a it's there's a book. It's called Tools for Teachers. Tools for Teachers by Fred Jones. Tools for Teachers by Fred Jones. This is a book about uh, classroom management. They say, you know, in education, they say it means uh, class discipline. Basically, the book is about how can a teacher have a disciplined class, right? So the children are not screaming and going crazy. So the children are focused and doing their work. It's important. In, a, in school, if they have 30 children, right, they have to have this. Without the discipline, the kids go crazy. Nothing, nothing is learned. Nothing happens. It's not easy to deal with 30 children of any age. It doesn't matter. Kindergarten, high school, it's not easy, right? So there are some skills, right? There is a skill to doing this. And you can learn these skills. Now, what's great is these skills are also very useful for parents. You can use, not all, but most of the techniques, most of the skills, most of the ideas from the book, parents can also use, right? It's a common problem. A lot of parents have no discipline. Their children are wild. They go crazy. They, they're rude. They behave badly. It creates a lot of stress for the parents. It's not good for the kids. People worry about this for homeschooling. Oh, my kids, how, how can I make them or how can I get them to focus? How can I get them to be disciplined and to study? Well, this book will teach you how. Tools for Teachers by Fred Jones. I highly, highly, highly recommend this book for all parents. Tools for Teachers by Fred Jones. What I'm going to do, I have the book. I've just got to find it. I will do some podcasts about the ideas in the book some of the ideas because I want you to I want you to learn this because I don't want you to avoid homeschooling just because you're afraid of the discipline part or just because you're too tired because your kids are uncontrolled or they're rude it's not good it's not good for your family even if you don't homeschool even if you don't homeschool you still need this you you want your children to be polite and generally well-behaved. You want them to be respectful. We have to teach them that. It doesn't, it's not automatic. And, you know, it, we don't know how. Like, I didn't, I didn't naturally know how to do that either, either, right? And so maybe our parents gave us a bad example. Some parents, they're too, too harsh, too mean. Like, they, they yell at, ah, they yell at their kids. Of course, we know some hit their children uh, and they're just too angry and it's, it's not good. We all know it's not good for the children. It's not good for the parents. It's not, it doesn't create a happy family. So that's not good to, ah, you know, and angry all the time and screaming. That's terrible. Some parents, they're the opposite, right? They're just too, uh, too soft and children can do anything and the children are rude and badly behaved and they, they're disrespectful, not respectful to their parents, to other adults. Also bad, also creates a stressful family, also terrible. So we have, we have to find a way that you have, you and I, learn a way to be respected by our children, to have uh, polite behavior from our children, 
some discipline, but in a kind way, in a loving way, in a way that creates happiness for everybody. So the parents are happy, more happy, children are happier, the whole family environment is really nice. Right? And that's why I love this book, Tools for Teaching, because the method, the way of discipline is, is very kind. It's very controlled. The parents, like one of his rules is you never show anger. You never show anger to your child. You never lose control. This is not easy, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I really know <laughs> that it's not easy. However, it's a good standard. It's something to try for. And he teaches, it's just such a, it's a very calm but strong. This is the combination you'll find in terms of the emotion for the parents. That you are strong, you are the leader, you are the parent, and you will not let your children be rude and disrespectful. You have rules and they will be followed. On the other hand, you are kind. You're not going to hit your children. You're not going to scream or yell at them. None of that. You're going to do everything. You're going to have discipline in a nice, calm way. And this makes your child feel more calm also. They can feel it because they, they know that you love them, but they also know you're strong. And that also makes them feel good. They want you to be strong. It makes them feel safe. So, I think we should learn a few ideas from that book. I will find that book and maybe this week or next week I'll teach some of the ideas from that book. I think it's very, very useful for parents and some of you are teachers. It's also useful for you. And I'll, by the way, finally, I use the same techniques when I teach adults. Some adults are a little rude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> when I was teaching uh, college kids or like 25-year-olds, some of them were a bit rude. They would talk while, I, while I'm trying to teach. They would take out their phone in the class and I had to deal with that. It's, it's not respectful behavior, so I had to do it. And I again, I could do it in a way that was calm but strong. So we'll learn about all that. It's a great book. I'm going to repeat the book one more time. Please get the book. Tools for Teaching, or Teachers, I think it is. Tools for Teachers by Fred Jones. We'll all learn a little more about this kind of classroom or parent-child discipline. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's, uh, you know, the vocabulary, the idea of finding the deeper, more beautiful meanings of words in the etymology. I will see you next time. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Remember that movie course is coming in just about a week for you all. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. See you next time.